Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Hot Spice Show. As always, I'm your host, JC Calavita, aka Hot Spice. This week, I'm going to highlight one of the most underrated pitchers in the league in Corbin Burns, and I'm going to go into some potential rule changes to baseball that could make it a lot more interesting. Today, we also have an interview with Alex Galvan. He's a freshman pitcher for the Louisville Cardinals in the ACC, and he's going to talk about pitching in one of the NCAA's premier conferences. To end the show, I'm going to talk about a player that decided to end his baseball career this past week. All right, to start things off, we're going to go with Corbin Burns. So you may not have heard of him. He does play on the Brewers. They are a smaller market team out there in the Midwest. But he's been awesome this year. And really over the past two years, he's kind of lit the league on fire. He's a fourth-round pick of the Brewers in 2016. And he's been tearing up the league for two years. His ERA last year was 2.11, and he finished sixth in Cy Young voting. His sinker is one of the most effective pitchers in baseball, and his slider and cutter are so effective when he tries to change speeds. He mixes in a changeup and a 12-6 curl ball with a ton of vertical movement. Now, in 2019, he had a miserable season. He went 1-5 with an 8.82 ERA, but then he got LASIK surgery, and he's been working with a mental skills coach, and he completely turned his career around. He changed his four-seamer into that cutter that I talked about, and everything just seemed to click for him. So far this season, he's started four games. He has 40 strikeouts, zero walk, and he's given up one earned run. That was a solo home run to Byron Buxton that actually broke up his no-hitter. And his ERA is .37. That leads the majors. This is an unprecedented start for any pitcher. He is the very first pitcher to have 40 strikeouts and no walks in any four-start span in the modern era. Right now, he's chasing Kenley Jansen's record of starting a season with the most strikeouts without a walk. He's 11 strikeouts away. And Jansen's 51 Ks to begin that season came in 31 appearances as he is, you know, a reliever, a closer. He's only 26 years old. Jacob deGrom is 33. I know Jacob deGrom is widely regarded as the best pitcher in the MLB right now. But Corbin Burns is a lot younger. And he's on his way to becoming a top pitcher for years to come. And, I, and the thing I like most about Corbin Burns is that he hasn't let his success get to his head. I mean, you haven't really seen anything on social media about him, like, saying that he's awesome or whatever. He's just chilling, letting things come to him. And he's just going out there every fifth day pitching a gem. I wouldn't be surprised to see him as a Cy Young candidate. He's been so well. It, as long as he just... Keeps it going, doesn't, again, let it get to his head. He'll be fine. He has the stuff to get it done. And the Brewers team is going to surprise some people this year. I believe it a lot. I know I still think the Cardinals are going to go to the World Series, but I think the Brewers could make that wild card spot and even even take the division. I just think they're going to surprise a lot of people. They have a solid lineup and a pretty good pitching staff if you factor in Brandon Woodruff. Um, just I don't think he's going to crash and burn. I think he's got a solid year ahead of him. He's definitely going to make the all-star team. He'll be a good pitcher for years to come. And I really like what I've seen from him. He's a great story, you know, getting LASIK surgery and just coming back from a terrible season after pitching pretty well his rookie year. He's he's done a lot for himself. He's worked hard, clearly. He's a, you know, low Division One kid. He really had to work for where he got. I mean, yes, he was a fourth-round pick, which is, you know, kind of high. But, you know, 
not not even not even the top picks make it to the majors. I mean, you look at Mark Capelli, he was the first round pick, of, first overall pick of the by the Astros a couple of years ago. He's re, just rejoined the Phillies organization. He's trying to make a comeback, but he never made it. So you still have to work hard. I mean, being a top pick in the MLB is never a short thing, and he's worked his way through the league, and he's one of the top pitchers in baseball now. He's only, like again, he's only twenty six years old. He's got it. He's got what I think at least ten more years of this. I don't know how much how much dominance he can sustain over those ten years, but I mean, pitchers, you've seen it in in like Cole Hamels and Jamie Moyer and all those guys. They've just extended their careers just because of what they've been given as a pitcher. They don't try to do too much. They just come at batters with what they got. It's all you need. Okay, so I was on Facetime late at night with one of my good friends, Owen Lynch. And we were talking about kind of cool ways to improve baseball. I'm really excited about this. So the numbers two through six are from an article in Sports Niche by Ryan Hicks called 11 Changes to Make Baseball Fun Again. But I just like, I was just looking through these. I thought these were really fun. So only really one of these is being kicked around by the MLB right now. And I honestly don't think a lot of these will make it, but they're just cool in theory. So the 22nd pitch clock is coming. It's come to MLB, so it's going to start when the pitcher's foot's on the rubber. I mean, it'll stop when uh, they step off or pick over or whatever, but it, it, need to happen. it needs to happen because baseball is really slow. It needs to speed up and all that. So number two is the batter can't step out of the box in between pitches. If you watch an MLB game, especially Bryce Harper, he he stepped out of the box after every pitch, adjusts his batting gloves, adjusts his helmet, adjusts his elbow guard, whatever. That takes way too much time. You gotta stay in the box, take your take your swings, get either get your hit or whatever, get out, and then you're done. You don't t- you just take a step out of the box. Maybe if you need to go talk to your coach, their base coach about signs or whatever, then that's fine. But there's no reason to step out of the box and adjust to your entire equipment arsenal. Something that I, I thought was kind of interesting. I don't, they'll never do this, but. Get rid of the first and third base coaches. That'll make runners so more aggressive. You'll see a, a lot more stolen base attempts. You'll see players, you know, running what would have been stop signs and trying to score more aggressive. I mean, yes, you might see more careless base running, but and you can you can even get your. I mean, I know a lot of times you get your signs from the third base coach, but you can get those from the dugout. I just think it's it'd be just an interesting thing to see. Again, it'll never happen, but it's really cool to see. Something else that um, Ryan Hicks brought up was a 10-man order, including a DH and pitcher. So the pitcher would still hit, but, like, it wouldn't count as an at-bat. Or So if he got out, it wouldn't count. Or if he got a hit, it would count. It's weird. So I'm thinking that you'd have to eliminate sacrifices. Like, you, you, you couldn't do a sacrifice bunt, or you couldn't do uh, – you couldn't have a sacrifice fly if you were a pitcher. Like, like if, you, if, say, the bases are loaded and the pitcher's up, and he hits a fly ball to left field, um, you, you wouldn't be able to tag up on that play just because it wouldn't count as an out. Like, the pitcher would have to get, like, a, a base hit or, like, move the runner over. Like, if there's a runner on first base, he gets a ground ball to second or, you know, he moves the runner over on a ground ball or something like that, he the, it, it'll count. Like, obviously, they won't be an out, but it'll still count. It's just it's an interesting thing. I don't they don't again it'll never happen. If anything, they'll just they'll just keep the universal DH. Um, they'll put it back in the MLB. But I just think it's something interesting. So this is really cool. This 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 would this would be interesting to see. Um, after the manager decides that a pitcher is coming out, he has to face one more batter. 
So obviously now when the manager walks out to the mound, the pitcher's coming out. Everyone knows that. But imagine, imagine you see Jacob DeGrom coming out of a game, all right? But it's second and third. There's two outs. It's like the seventh inning. And Mike Trout comes up. That, that'll be a cool thing. Like if they're trying to take him out to put a, a, diff, a right-handed, any different right-handed guy in, that'd be a pretty cool thing to see. If Jacob DeGrom has to go out there one more time to face one of the best hitters in baseball, that'd be really cool. Um, another thing that probably won't happen, I just thought it was kind of cool. Uh, starting the 10th inning, you lose a fielder every inning. So this whole thing started because we were talking about the extra inning role, how the, you know, there's a runner on second base in the extra innings. I kind of think that's interesting, but it is what it is. A lot of people don't like that. Um, not, not every fan wants to see, you know, 15, 16 inning games. I mean, I think they're fun. You never know what's going to happen, but people just want to see the games go quickly, you know. So if you start if you start taking a fielder away in the 10th inning, you take. I mean, I would take away an outfielder and then the second baseman and then the third baseman and then another outfielder. I don't know how far we would get. I don't think you would ever get to where it was just a pitcher and a catcher, but it's just a cool thing to think about. One thing I think that definitely needs to start happening in baseball is start the playoff games earlier these playoff games they run longer than regular season games obviously there's more pitching changes the, the games are just longer there's probably more ads but like you when i was little the phillies were really good and i couldn't stay up to watch all their games i mean i probably did i probably like snuck back downstairs and stuff but you the kids these young kids that you're trying to get into into the game you're trying to build the next generation they're they're not the, the game started eight o'clock and they usually go to bed probably around 10 or 11. Like you, I mean, the game probably don't end till like midnight. You don't, you don't get to see the whole game. You don't get to see the big moments in the, in late in games where, you know, teams win games. They're, you don't get to see how teams win. You get to see, you know, the first half of a game or the first sixty percent of a game. And the kids don't get to see their heroes. You know, they don't get to see legends become made in the playoffs because they are. I mean, yes, David Freeze became a legend in October in those late inning games in the World Series. Yes, now he made an all-star team. He was a solid player in the MLB for a number of years. But people know him best because of that World Series against the Rangers. And I think it was 2011. It probably was. So you don't get to see that as a kid. Another thing you guys know I've been super vocal about is ending the shift. It's so annoying. So many base hits are taken away because of defensive alignments. Now, I'm not saying you don't position your infielders accordingly, but come on, man. Two infielders on each side of second base. It's not that hard, Rob Manfred. Just make the change. Everybody wants to see it. The shift is so annoying to fans. You, you don't, There's no reason a second baseman needs to be on, on the other side of second base. There's no reason a third baseman needs to be on the right side of the infield. Absolutely none. I mean, it's so dumb though. Like the players should be able to hit around it by now. Like you should. I mean, I've seen countless, countless guys just slap it the other way. Like that's what you should be able to do. You're a major league player. Slap it the other way. I don't know. Um, this is the actually the coolest thing I thought of. I've been thinking about this for a while. So divisional realignment. So the MLB might expand in the next couple of years, and I think this is my own take. I think you put an American League team in Portland. And then you put a National League team in either Nashville, New Orleans, or Charlotte. 
I've always thought there could be a team in, in Omaha. Like I've always thought there could there was like a untapped market for a baseball fans in, you know, the Midwest. And they already have a stadium in T D Ameritrade where the College World Series is played. But I don't know. I just I thought that would be cool. But I think there should be divisional alignment. They should kind of make there's gonna be 32 teams, so the, the divisions should be set up like the NFL, where there's four teams in four divisions in each league and four teams in each division. So here's how I would set it up. So the NL North would basically be the central, I guess. But so the NL North would be the Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers, and Rockies. You still have, you know, that strong Cubs, Cardinals, um, that strong rivalry between those two teams. And even the Brewers get a stadium that they always had a rivalry. Uh, the AL North would be White Sox, Twins, Tigers, Indians. Um, the NL South would be the Marlins, Braves, Reds, and then that expansion team either in New Orleans, Nashville, Charlotte. Uh, the AL South would be Rangers, Astros, Rays, and Royals. You keep that in-state rivalry between the Rangers and Astros. And honestly, I couldn't figure out a team that was south enough that wasn't too far west to put in the AL South. So I just thought of the Royals. Um, the AL East would be Phillies, Mets, Pirates, Nationals. The Phillies and Pirates need to be in the same division. I, my dad talks about this all the time, about how the Phillies and Pirates had such a great rivalry in the 70s and 80s. And he wishes that, you know, they should they need to be back. And frankly, they're in-state rivals. They got to be in the same division. They're in the same league. You got to be in the same division. The AL East would, you know, keep the Yankees and Red Sox rivalry along with Blue Jays and Orioles. Keep that basically the same. And then the West would be Dodgers, Giants, Diamondbacks, Padres, basically just the same thing as the rest is now, other than the Rockies being in the, in the North. Um, and then the West is Angels, Athletics, Mariners, and then that Portland team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I think the division should realign to. And you know what? I think that because of this, they don't have to play as many divisional games. And every team should play every other team at least once during the season, the same way the NBA does. You know, personally, I mean, I'm a big baseball fan, so I probably know more than the average person does. But, like, my knowledge is I know my Phillies, and then I know, you know, the players in our division because we see them play each other so much. Like, I don't – like, Corbin Burns wasn't somebody I knew until my, my uncle Chris brought it up, you know, uh, I didn't know who he was because he wasn't in the Phillies division and he, and the Brewers are so not really talked about just because they're in a, such a small market, but the NBA does that. The NBA has, you see every, every, every franchise gets to see like LeBron James or Steph Curry or Kevin Durant once, I mean, unless, you know, load management, but they get to see if their teams play once a year, at least. And I think that's really cool. That's why the, the NBA markets their stars so well, and the MLB doesn't do that. Like, LeBron James and Kevin Durant could walk down – could not walk down a street without getting recognized, whereas Mike Trout could. Mike Trout has been the best player in baseball for the last decade or so, and he, he could live a basically a normal life because not many people are going to recognize him. Like, everybody knows who Tom Brady is. You, you see Tom Brady on the street, you're not going to not say, oh, my God, that's Tom Brady. The MLB needs to do the same thing. That's why they're declining. Now it's time to welcome our guest to the show. He's a freshman pitcher for the number seven ranked Louisville Cardinals of the ACC. During his high school career, he was a four-year starter for the Manispawn Warriors. He was a member of the 2017 team that won the New Jersey Group 2 State Championship. During his junior season, he was named to the New Jersey All-Group 2 team. According to Perfect Game, he was the second-ranked right-hand pitcher in New Jersey and the fourth-best pitcher in the state in the class of 2020. He was also the 79th-ranked right-handed pitcher nationally. Alex Galvan, welcome to the Hot Spice Show. How are you, Alex? Going on? I'm doing good. 
All right, so I'm gonna hit you with my first question. I ask it to everybody. Give me a scouting report on yourself. So uh, I'm a, I'm a big guy, so I'm like a downhill right-handed pitcher, fastball dominant with a knuckle curve. It's like twelve-six shape, and then a changeup. But I just like to get on you with the fastball, so be ready for it. So tell me about your pitching repertoire. Like, do you pitch to different guys? Do you pitch, like, to different players differently? Or, like, what? how do you go about, like, getting the guy out in the booth as efficient way possible? Well, right now it's just listening to your pitching coach because as a freshman you can't really choose what you want to throw. So I just listen to him and just try to spot up. I don't even worry about the hitter. What would you say sets you apart from other pitchers? Uh, well, like I said before, I'm – pretty tall so it's a high arm slot and it's coming down in the bottom of the zone so it's not that easy to hit so how do you make in-game adjustments like I know you've only pitched a few innings here in your college career but like when you were a starter from Manaswan, what did you do as the game moved along to better give your team a better chance to win well uh obviously giving my team the best chance to win is just throwing strikes and not giving free runners up and just pretty much just getting on dudes and trusting your infielders. And sometimes late in the game, you'll get tired and you'll start overthrowing with your arm, but you just got to get into, in my mind, I just got to get into my legs more. And those are the most powerful muscles when you pitch. So if you use your legs, it, your endurance goes up You throw for longer and better. What were your workouts like this off season with, a new with a whole group of new coaches and how did you how did you acclimate to Louisville actually um so like as soon as I got here like you could tell that like people just wanted to work and just like give a sense of, like it wasn't really like any like I just knew from the start every day was going to be a grind which is what makes you better and like in the fall we we, we have to we lifted much heavier than what we do now like right now we're just like we're throwing a lot so we can't really lift that much but in the fall, we did, like, these things called football lifts where, like, you just got to, like, you're pretty much doing, what, like, lifts that, like, football players do. So you're putting on, like, 5, 10 pounds, and it's good stuff. So what did you want to improve upon most coming into the season? Uh, coming into the season, I wanted to improve on, like, just, like, getting, getting the guys and not letting them get behind. And let myself get them behind the count with, oh, 1-0 but just to go all one every count and work from there because it's not that easy to hit with one strike opposed to one ball. How do you attack a batter when you're behind in the count versus when you're ahead? Well, like, obviously you got to get a fastball. Like, you're going to throw a fastball most likely. So I don't try to leave them like a cookie, like high or in the middle. Like I said, I just try to work down all the time and get that down angle so it's not that easy to hit even when they know a fastball is coming. So I, I know you've thrown pretty hard your whole life. You're sitting around like 96, right? Yeah, like 95, 96. So, I mean, you were blowing kids away in high school, but in, here in college, like, you're still probably, you know, throwing – you're probably one of the harder-throwing guys in your conference. But, I mean, kids um, – players are used to it now. Like, how have you worked in your off-speed when you're pitching? Yeah, the off-speed is, like, really important because at this level, like, in, I've seen guys – we faced a guy this year from Wake Forest who was throwing two, and we were hitting them. 
So if they know, because you didn't have, you didn't really have his off speed that day. So like if the hitters know at this level, the fastball is coming, like you're just going to get smacked around. So you got to mix in that curve, like early in the count, even if it's not the best curveball, like hitters don't really want to swing at that. So. So you talked about how you throw a knuckle curve. So how did you work that into your arsenal? Because I know that's not exactly the easiest pitch to throw or even, uh, it's not one of the most common pitches you see among young pitchers today. Yeah. Yeah, like my older brother threw it for some reason. I guess his travel coach told him because he was a pitcher for like most of his career. So he was pitching for a while and just did a knuckle curve. And I'd always go out and have catches with him. So he would just show me. And I was like, that was the only curveball I've ever known. And I started pitching late. So then I just went with that because that was the only thing I could somewhat throw first strike. Um. What what is your what was your goal heading into the season? Like, what did you want to accomplish this year? Um, well, I just wanted to be like, obviously, the better get better every day during the season. Tough for like pitchers because you're only going out there once a week or two, twice a week top. So just keep getting better, and then just like uh, yeah, just keep getting better. What would you say your role on the team is now? And how do you see that changing as your collegiate career progresses? So like early in the year, like I wasn't, I didn't get in as much. And so like halfway through, I started getting in a little bit more and they used me like for like one big game. So like, if I just keep being consistent and doing what I got to do, I could see myself being a guy in the bullpen that they can go to in tight games. So you're more of a bullpen guy in college. Like you don't, you don't see yourself as a starter necessarily anymore. Well, no, I, I do. I can, I really think I could just do whatever they ask me to do. And, but like, as of now, I, I'm just a bullpen guy. Yeah. What do you do? Like, how do you keep yourself in the game? You know, if, if you know you're not going to play that day or if you know, you're just going to get a couple of innings in, what do you do to keep your mind, you know, on the game rather than on something else? Like, just that I got my brothers out there, and those are my teammates, and we just play together. So I got to be on the bench cheering them on, just in the game, helping them, talking off the bench, especially at away games. It's tough this year, especially because there's only pretty much home fans. So we got to be loud, get the boys going. What can you tell me about the clubhouse atmosphere and, like, what your team camaraderie is like? Yeah, everyone earlier in the year, it was like kind of tough for everyone because of the COVID and like no one on the team was really hanging out besides like with their roommates because contact tracing or whatnot. So early in the year, it was tough. But now that like we've played together and like COVID's kind of slowing down, we've gotten our vaccines, we get tested twice a week. So now we can spend like more time in the locker room and stuff. So it's been it's been good. The older guys are good. There's some, we've got some fifth years, especially this year because of like the extended roster. So there's a lot of older guys and a lot of guys setting examples and teaching you. So it's good. What have you learned playing alongside some of the most talented pitchers in the country? Yeah, we got our Friday night guy right now was a closer and his whole career here and now his fourth year here, he's turned into our Friday night starter. So like it's just, He's so, like, he can really just do whatever they ask to. And then there's another guy, another older man. Call him man because he's, like, 24 now, 23. But uh, 
but he just he's like a reliever slash closer like he's an extended closer and like he just doesn't really have anything crazy but he just throws strikes and puts the ball where he wants and gets guys out so it's pretty fun learn a lot so how important is the relationship between a pitcher and a catcher yeah it's important because like if you don't like your catcher, you obviously probably don't trust them or whatever. If you don't have a good connection, like you're not going to, I just feel like you won't be on your, your A game. Cause any little like excuse or distraction when you're pitching to get in your head, like, Oh, I don't like throwing to this guy or whatever. You're just not going to be as good as you are. So you just got to stay clear minded and just focus on the task at hand. So talk about your recruitment. Why why'd you pick Louisville and like what other schools showed interest in you? So when I was getting recruited, I I haven't st- I didn't start pitching until my sophomore summer. So that was like I was we're getting like mostly it was our summer. So we were playing like local tournaments first with the Niners. Shout out Rob Maida. And then uh so we played like local tournaments so like a couple big like Power five schools, but like mostly Northeast, like uh, Penn State and like Boston College expressed interest. And then like Monmouth and like a bunch of smaller, like mid major schools. And then we finally went to uh, Florida. It was a four, not, I don't know if it was Fort Myers. Yeah, it was Fort Myers that year, I think. And Coach Mayer like has a bunch of connections. So he just got like a bunch of like ACC, SEC schools to watch me. And I, I didn't pitch good. And then Coach Williams, the Louisville pitching coach, was actually, like, watching someone else. And he just saw me pitching. And he came over. And he liked what he saw. And he, he saw that he could make me better because I was inexperienced. And it does go with big pitchers. So that's how I went. And then I went – I saw here and I just realized the winning culture they have and how they develop players. So I wanted to come here. That's really interesting that you started so late. Like, did you just not pitch in Little League at all or even middle school? Like, I'd throw, like, an inning here and there in Little League just because I had a strong arm. But, like, past Little League from, like, 12 to, like, 17 or whatever age I was that summer, I didn't, like, pitch in, like, real games. What made you make the switch? Coach Mayda told me I'm 6'6", and that – if I want to go to Division One college and to be a good player in college, I got to pitch because it's not that easy hitting when you're six six and playing the field. What What do you think was like the hardest thing to learn, like transitioning from a position player to a full time PO? Um, the hardest thing to learn was probably like the arm slots because, like, when I played in the field, I played like shortstop, so I always like would throw it sidearm and. Sometimes, like, your wrist, you can get, like, a little wrist dominant with that because that's, I don't know, you're just throwing like that. And I feel like once I started pitching, like, I would cut the ball a lot because I guess I was using all arm and I wasn't using my legs, so I'd cut the ball and just trying to get out of that, finding different grips and what worked for me. So it was pretty hard, but I got it pretty quick, thank God. Yeah, I mean, that's – that's pretty cool, but I, I feel like you have somewhat of an advantage because your arm isn't tired yet. Like you don't have a lot of strain on that on that shoulder, yeah. that elbow. Like you're like you're not gonna have little leaguer arm, or uh-huh. you're not you're not probably not gonna need Tommy John surgery 
hopefully in the next few years, probably not because you just didn't throw as much. You didn't have as much high stress pitching. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's always an upside. I'm a fresh pitcher. So like you said, a lot of guys like down South who play baseball year round, you see them getting Tommy John at a young age. So maybe being in the Northeast helped me a little bit too. So I wasn't playing baseball year round and throwing like a crazy man, whether it's the infield or pitching. So how does, how do you guys, how does Louisville try to stay humble and not get complacent about being in the top 10 in the AP poll? Yeah. Like we, we just always think that we can be better than what we are right now. And obviously there's always room to get better. So we just keep trying to play our best game and who really cares. Our coach always tells us who gives a shit about those rankings. Cause those guys don't know anything really. So we just play our game and try to win every game. Every day is a new day. Whatever you put out there, we got, we got to go and get them. Um, so you told me before this that you guys aren't even playing at your best. What makes you say that? Where do you see you guys could make some improvement and how, how much better – like where, where do you see this team finishing this year? Um, I see this team doing really well and playing for a while into, the, into June. And um, – I just think that, like, early in the year, like, our hitting wasn't really there and our pitching was doing well. And then a couple of games, like, 15 games in the season, it just totally flipped. And our pitching, we got a couple of pitchers hurt. And one of our starters got hurt, so we're trying to find the starter role. And just we struggled for a little bit. But now both are starting to carry their load a little bit, hitting more. But the pitching's coming along. We got guys coming back, so. Once we all we connect all that, we'll be really good. Um, so I know you played basketball in high school. You were a really good basketball player. How do you think that helped you in becoming the baseball player you are? Well, to be honest, I think being the baseball player that I was, I was playing, I played my whole life, helped me become a better basketball player. Because baseball, you're just like you do movements to where like you know, like hip hinging and just like feel like they always say the baseball, the most athletic athletes multiverse. So I don't know, just playing the game of baseball, being good in my feet, good with my hips, like just helped me move on the court good. And I didn't really shoot a lot. So I would just attack the boards and I was aggressive. You got to be aggressive in baseball too. So I think baseball taught me a lot. What would you say is the coolest stadium or game atmosphere in the ACC apart from Louisville? Um, I, we just actually came back from UVA, and that was pretty pretty neat. It was really, really big and whatnot. We were at Kentucky yesterday, but that was an SEC school, so obviously they get, like, they get more money and they have better facilities, or at least they're known for that. So Kentucky was nice, but Virginia was the best in the ACC, and – Cincinnati had a really cool field too. I like that field a lot. Who would you credit the most with how you developed as a player? Um, so far, I'd say probably Coach Meta. He knows a lot of what he's talking about. And he has some the core VLO belts, which you need. And well, just the Niners, Coach too, because Coach Corey taught me uh, plyo balls or whatever the drive line and the weighted balls and. I just think those will help you a lot. So those two, I'd say, taught me the most so far. I've only been here for a little bit, so hopefully this coach teaches me more. 
was your reaction when Meta told you that you got to be a pitcher? Like, I know, I mean, you were a shortstop. It's one of the most important positions on the field. And I'm, I, I would imagine you were a pretty good hitter to be in that shortstop position. But what did you feel? Like, what was went through your head when he's like, you got to be a pitcher? Yeah, no, I just, I agree with him because, I mean, what everything he said was he was right about. And I was struggling. It was, I got, it got harder to hit as the, the taller you get. So I just knew it was time. It was eventually, I was eventually going to have to. So was there a piece of advice you ever received from a coach or a teammate or even like a parent that really stuck with you over the years? Um, yeah. Like my dad always says like count the soldiers at the end. So like earlier this year, like I wasn't really playing and whatever, like freshman year, I didn't get called up right away in high, my freshman year in high school. And like, I was pretty good at that point hitting and like, he just says count the soldiers at the end, which means, it's not how you start, pretty much. It's just how you finish. So, What do you think is the most important trait for a college baseball player to have? Um, just hustle and knowledge of the game. Like, our coach loves base runners. So if you're if you're a really good base runner, he'll find a spot for you. And obviously, you got to be able to hit the ball a little bit in the field. But if, you're, if there's one guy who's a little bit better than you but not a good base runner – and you know the game, and you know what to do in what situations. They'll find a spot for you. What's your favorite non-baseball aspect of the University of Louisville? Um, there's, like, a lot of good sports here. So, just, like, this year it was kind of tough, but, like, in the years to come, like, going to all the sporting games and just seeing good games all the time because of who we play and how good our teams are here, it's just cool. All right, last question here. What do you what would you say that you love most about baseball? Um, I just love that it's like such like a hard sport physically and like mentally. And that just there's crazy things that happen in this game and it's just it's a good time and different thing different scenarios always happen and any team can win, so just a fun time. Well, man, I really appreciate you doing this for me. Um, best of luck to you guys this season and best of luck to you. Uh, just keep grinding, man. You'll get there. You guys have a great squad this year. I'm sure you'll be I'm, – I'm hoping to see you guys at Omaha this year. Yes, sir. Thank you, Johnny. It's good talking to you. All right. Finally, let's talk about the player of the week. Jay Bruce grew up in Beaumont, Texas, a suburb of Houston, as the youngest of three kids and the son of a plumber and a special ed teacher. The younger of his two sisters, Kellen, was mentally disabled after the umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck twice. She was Bruce's biggest fan throughout his entire playing career. Bruce considers her one of his biggest inspirations. So, growing up, Jay Bruce played both football and baseball, but his career in the gridiron came to an end when his mother refused to sign the consent forms. Thank God she did, because if she had, we never would have gotten to see this man's career pan out. After a senior season at Westbrook High School, where Bruce put up a 538 batting average, smashed 12 home runs, and drove in 31 RBIs and was a third-team All-American, he was selected 12th overall in the 2005 MLB draft by the Cincinnati Reds. He decided to go forward with his pro career instead of attending Tulane University, where he had committed earlier that year. Bruce rose quickly through the minor league ranks. In 2007, he was selected as a single-A All-Star, made the All-Star Futures team, 
and was named both Baseball America and the Sporting News Minor League Player of the Year. Heading into 2008, Bruce was ranked as the number one prospect in baseball by Baseball America. He was eventually invited to big league camp, but he failed to make the team out of spring training. He was eventually called up on May 27th, and in his major league debut against the Pirates, he did this. He'll be a big part of it for years to come, but he is uh, only part of his first major league hit. There it is, first major league hit for number 32, Jay Bruce. Already two at bats, two standing ovations. What a moment for the youngster. That's a line drive base hit. Bruce did it again. Another run scores. He's two for two in two walks, and they're going crazy behind the Reds' dugout. How about this? A shot to right, going back, looking up. It's off the wall. One run scores. Bruce to second. What a day for Jay Bruce. Two singles, a double, two walks. Welcome to the big leagues, big guy. He ended up finishing fifth in Rookie of the Year voting. Jay Bruce became the everyday right fielder for Cincinnati, and you count on him being penciled in the middle of the order of the lineup for many years to come. During the 2010 season, the Reds found themselves in the midst of a race for the Central Division crown. They had battled the Cardinals all season. On September 28th, Jay Bruce came up and produced one of the biggest moments of his baseball career. Jay Bruce digging in to start tonight. High drive. Left center field. Racing back to the wall. Bourgeois. The Reds are National League Central Division champions. That same year in the postseason, he was the only base runner in Roy Halladay's no-hitter in Game 1 of the NLDS. Bruce spent parts of nine seasons in the Queen City. He made three All-Star teams, won two Silver Sluggers, and was top 10 in MVP voting twice. He was traded to the Mets in 2016, and the following year after New York put him on waivers, Bruce was sent to Cleveland. The Indians were in a pennant chase in 2017 after losing Game 7 of the World Series the year prior. Cleveland went on a crazy 22-game winning streak, and Bruce did this to cap it all off. Rip to right, it's down over. the line, fair ball! Around third, Ramirez will score! It's a walk-off for number 22. That offseason, Bruce was re-signed to the Mets. In the years to come, he would play with both the Seattle Mariners and the Philadelphia Phillies. In 2021, he was signed to the Yankees to be a replacement for the injured Luke Voigt. And on April 18th, Bruce announced his retirement from baseball. He finished his career with 319 career home runs and nearly 1,000 RBIs. He will always be remembered as a power-hitting outfielder for the Cincinnati Reds. He was one of the best players of his era. While he will never have a plaque in Cooperstown, he will always have a special place in the hearts of Red fans. All right, everyone, that'll just about do it for this edition of the Hot Spice Show. Thank you so much for listening. I release new episodes every Thursday. I love doing this, and I hope you all continue listening so I can keep doing it. Make sure you follow me on Instagram and Twitter at J underscore Colavita12. That's J underscore C-O-L-A-V-I-T-A-12. I'd like to thank Alex Galvan for taking the time to do an interview, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I look forward to you joining me next week. One more time, I'm JC Calavita, a.k.a. Hot Spice, and this has been The Hot Spice Show. Peace, bros.